Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast. I'm your host, Corinne. And I'm your host, Brittany. And we work at the National Estuarine Research Reserve, or NEAR, on Sapelo Island, a Georgia barrier island. Today, we wanted to talk to you about something coastal residents should be familiar with from June to November. Hurricanes! That's right, we are in the midst of hurricane season, and August through October tends to be the most active time. Each year, the U.S. Atlantic Southeast has an average of 14 named storms, 7 hurricanes, and 3 major hurricanes, which are hurricanes that rate as a Category 3, 4, or 5 on the Saffir-Simpson Hurricane Wind Scale. The Saffir-Simpson Hurricane Wind Scale can be confusing for most people. Sometimes this can lead people to assume that a hurricane will not be as destructive and they will decide not to evacuate. But just because there aren't strong winds does not mean that you will be safe. A Category 1 hurricane is a dangerous storm that is likely to cause some damage to roofs, gutters, and siding. Winds topple trees and snap tree branches. Winds can also affect power lines and poles, resulting in power outages. Flooding is also a major event that occurs in a hurricane. Flooding and hurricanes go hand in hand because torrential rain stemming from a hurricane or tropical storm can cause rivers, lakes, and streams to flood within minutes or hours, according to the National Weather Service. A slow-moving storm can actually increase the risk of flooding because it tends to slowly wash over the coast, increasing the storm's length. And what's even worse is that hurricanes can rapidly change. People may wake up to find that the Category 2 hurricane they weren't too concerned with yesterday is now a raging Category 4 due to pressure changes and that your chance to evacuate has now gone away. Or the opposite can occur, where people were planning to evacuate when a hurricane was a Category 3, only to hear that it is now a Category 1 or 2 and will decide to stay home. That can sometimes cause problems because staying through a Category 1 hurricane can still be life-threatening due to the unpredictable nature of wind, rain, hail, and tornadoes that a hurricane can bring. Now, to be classified as a hurricane, a tropical cyclone must sustain winds of at least 74 miles per hour for at least one minute, making it a Category 1. The highest classification in the scale, Category 5, consists of storms with sustained winds of 157 miles per hour or more. Of the 37 hurricanes currently considered to have attained Category 5 status in the Atlantic, 18 had wind speeds at 175 miles per hour or greater, and only 8 had wind speeds at 180 miles per hour or greater, which were the 1935 Labor Day hurricane and hurricanes Allen, Gilbert, Mitch, Rita, Wilma, Irma, and Dorian. We've had one of the most unusually inactive months here in the Atlantic. There was not a single named storm during the month of August. That is just the fifth time in recorded history that's happened. The 2022 Atlantic hurricane season in general has been off to a quiet start with only five named storms so far this year. A big part of the reason it has been so quiet has been the Saharan dust layer moving off the coast of Africa. This is unfavorable for tropical storms and hurricanes to develop. Since most hurricanes during the later part of the season are formed off the Cape Verde Islands in West Africa, this has created a large impact. Not only does the dust layer contain dry air, but there's typically high wind shear as well, both of which suppress hurricanes. It's great if the tropics are quiet, and we would love it to stay that way, but scientists think things will start to get more active in September and October, with NOAA still predicting 14 to 20 named storms this year with 6 to 10 of those becoming hurricanes, and 3 to 5 becoming major hurricanes. That would be an above-average season if it happens as predicted. 
So it may be a very active fall season, which means you may have more to fear than just the vast overuse of pumpkin spice. Exactly. It sometimes is not even the hurricane that kills people. It is the after effects that cause issues. When a hurricane sustains extreme wind speeds for even just six seconds on a building, it can cause rupturing damages that are serious no matter how well the building is engineered. This can cause people who sheltered in place to falsely believe that their home is safe after the hurricane has passed, only to have major foundation issues and dangerous structural collapses several days later. Cleanup can also cause major issues, like debris or people coming into contact with down power lines. Power outages will likely last for weeks to months. People should also expect long-term potable water shortages. The long-term flooding that can occur can cause health issues, and since a hurricane is in the warmest months in the south without power, that heat can cause numerous problems, especially for people with existing medical needs. And it's not just the coast that can suffer from damage from hurricanes. In 2017, the remnants of Hurricane Irma damaged portions of Georgia all the way up to metro Atlanta. There was intense flooding and erosion along the coast and minor damage as far as inland as the Albany area. Many Georgia residents have been lucky over the years compared to other states. It's been almost 40 years since Georgia has experienced a direct hit from a tropical system, and there are several reasons why such occurrences are rare. Georgia's coast is shaped in a way that helps it hide from most storms. The coast bends westward, leaving the Carolinas and parts of Florida more exposed and vulnerable. Since we are in that Georgia bite, Georgia is protected on every side except for its 100 miles of coastline. Compare that to Florida's 1,350 miles or the 488 miles of the Carolina coastline. Georgia is also buffered by a straight line of barrier islands, which help to take the brunt of the impact and then, after making its way through the islands, we are insulated by our extensive marshland. Direct hits can happen, however, and those tasked with preparing Georgia for disaster say it will no doubt happen again one day, and most likely sooner than you think. As a native Floridian, I can attest to the casual nature most of us living on the coast have towards hurricanes. I myself love a good hurricane meme season on social media. However, I have also been through some of the scariest hurricanes that were no laughing matter. Evacuation is extremely frustrating, costly, and downright uncomfortable at times, but having seen the destruction of Hurricane Andrew, Irma, and Matthew firsthand, which have been some of the deadliest and most costly hurricanes on record, you should not mistakenly compare a few days of being inconvenienced with being dead. A 2016 study also found that hurricane names affect people's perception of the deadliness of a storm. Names like Ezra, Walter, Paula, or some other sweet older couple sounding names can cause people to think of the hurricane as benign, no matter the category. Now there have been some studies that suggest female names are deadlier storms because people do not take them as seriously as male names, but most of those studies produce skewed results due to biased or problematic methods. However, choosing names that sound more powerful can have an undeniable effect. Oh, I totally agree. Name that thing like a death metal album, Hurricane Doomsday Machine, or Hurricane Arsenal of Megadeth, and I agree folks will be evacuating like they need to. Hurricane Bonnie just doesn't have the same ring to it. So what can you do to protect yourself during a hurricane? If you are in need of evacuation assistance, whether that is financial, physical, or in need of a place to stay, please contact your local emergency management center. 
Most counties will utilize public buses to shuttle people and families to shelters, and most shelters do allow pets. Be sure to bring supplies for your pet, including their vaccine records, any medication they take, comfort items, food that you have, and a carrier, leash, or collar. Some counties also have a hurricane registry where people with access, functional, or medical needs can make sure that they are not forgotten during an evacuation process. Knowing your evacuation plans ahead of time is fundamentally important when living in coastal Georgia. Communities will usually block traffic so that one-way flow can be achieved to give the best chance for everyone to reach inland shelters before hurricanes make landfall. This means you may be separated from your family or stuck if you are not properly prepared for the evacuation. Having a ready-to-go suitcase or pack with necessary items is a great idea for those that can afford it, but just making sure that you have a checklist or plan in place is really what is most important. Knowing somewhere that you can evacuate to if there is a storm, whether it is a hotel, a friend who lives inland, or a place offering free shelter is very important. Knowing your evacuation zone can help make the evacuation process go much smoother for everyone involved. On public television, online, and through several weather apps, officials will announce areas that are ready for evacuation to help the people closer to the coast reach safety in time. Please do not leave before your zone is called, as this leads to excessive traffic, which can cause delays in everyone's evacuation. If you do decide to shelter in place, there are some tips you can follow to be safe. However, if there is a state of emergency declared in your state, please know that no emergency staff are going to be on call for you should you something occur. They have already evacuated with their families. If you shelter in place, be prepared with a medical kit and all medications that you need for at least two weeks. Have enough food and water for at least two weeks. Do not eat all hurricane snacks immediately after the storm. Like we said before, just because the storm has passed does not mean that stores will be able to restock quickly, given transportation issues, blocked roads from debris, and power issues. Keep flashlights, candles, and backup generators accessible and lifted off the ground at least three feet should it flood into your home. Have an exit plan to your roof should flash flooding occur, and it's sometimes useful to store a kayak or float in the attic if you have an attic window. Keep a fire extinguisher close by, and just because it is raining does not mean that fires do not often occur during a hurricane due to the increased amount of wind and lightning. For more information about reducing your risk, check out the University of Georgia Marine Extension's video linked in our description. You can also contact the Coastal Resource Division of the Georgia Department of Natural Resources about your local post-disaster recovery plan with a statewide guide linked in the description. Also linked is the CRD's Enhancing Coastal Resilience Guide, a fantastic resource on how to mitigate coastal hazards with natural solutions. Yes, that's a wonderful resource and one I use regularly in my work with coastal resiliency. Another great resource is the Residence Handbook from the UGA Marine Extension. Both are linked in the description and are fantastic for homeowners. So, Brittany, can you explain what coastal resiliency is exactly? Sure! Coastal resiliency means building the ability of a community to bounce forward after hazardous events such as hurricanes, coastal storms, and flooding, rather than simply reacting to impacts. Because all communities are going to face hazards, resilience is important. Resilience is our ability to prevent a short-term hazard event from turning into a long-term community-wide disaster. It is the intensive planning process that officials should be doing to make sure that recovery after a disaster, like a hurricane, is a smooth and orderly process. 
It is not only about making sure the recovery is not costly, but also ensuring that community residents do not feel hopeless or confused during what is a very difficult time in everyone's life. Community resilience differs from disaster preparedness because it looks at things holistically, from social, economic, and infrastructure levels, and over long periods of time versus just what has happened during a disaster. Communities can be resilient by putting in place long-term solutions that benefit healthcare, housing, and social well-being. So what are ways that individuals can plan for their own homes to be resilient in the face of hurricanes? That's a great question with a really complicated answer. The honest truth is that no one can 100% prepare for the damage that hurricanes can bring, and accepting that as the first step. However, following local disaster ordinances and FEMA guidelines can help. Ready.gov slash hurricanes, which is also linked in our description, has great resources that can help individuals and communities access this important information. You can also practice with scenarios that make you think about all the unexpected situations you can find yourself in during a hurricane. One of the FEMA practice scenarios is linked in our description as well as the answer key, and I highly recommend everyone checking it out when they have some time. It really makes you think about what you might be missing in your hurricane preparedness checklist. It is incredibly important to be prepared, and hurricanes are no laughing matter. But what about weather jokes? Oh, well, obviously those are okay. What do you have to do to win gold at the weather forecasting competition? I don't know, what? You have to beat the reigning champion. Wow. Well, what do you call it when it rains chickens and ducks? I don't know. What? Foul weather! Okay, okay. Time for a real question. Danny from Brunswick asks, what is storm surge? Isn't it just flooding? Thanks for asking, Danny. That can confuse a lot of residents on our coast. Storm surge is different from tidal flooding or rainfall flooding. It happens only around a water source and during a storm. Storm surge is the abnormal rise in seawater level during a storm, which is measured as the height of the water above the normally predicted tide. It is primarily caused by an increase in wind activity that pushes the water further into shore at high tide versus just rainfall amounts. According to the National Weather Service, storm surge from a category three to five hurricane can cause flooding in all of Georgia's coastal counties and can push salt water as much as 30 miles inland. The 1898 hurricane had the largest storm surge in Georgia, measuring over 16 feet in Brunswick. Compare that to Hurricane Irma, which had a 6.9-foot storm surge in Brunswick. Unlike Hurricane Matthew, Irma hit during a full moon, which caused unusually high tides. With generally dry conditions prior to Irma's arrival, flooding issues in this area were not nearly as bad as they could have been, though coastal Georgia experienced this significant flooding due to the coastal storm surge. For more information about any of the topics we covered today or to submit your question that may be featured in our upcoming episodes, please email us at signer.socials at gmail.com. That's S-I-N-E-R-R dot socials at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Sapelo Nerds, a coastal science podcast brought to you by the Sapelo Island National Estuarine Research Reserve. Please check back for more episodes released on the 1st and the 15th of each month. And that's the Savalo Sound.